friends, you're listening to Crickets to Cha-Chings, a show where we talk about all aspects of running a handmade business and marketing that business for success while still keeping a balance to have flexibility for your family. I'm your host, Lauren Keplinger, and I am so excited to get started. Let's jump right in. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Crickets Chicha Chings. My name is Lauren, and today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Grace Hayden, and I am excited to dive into our conversation with her. Welcome, Grace. Thank you. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, what you do, and how you got started doing it? Yeah, absolutely. So I got started selling a few different products, both on Amazon and Etsy. My background is fully in retail. I've done retail for 15 plus years and I went to school for retail as well. So I'm like really into <laughs> the details of, of selling and, and the retail industry. I have since moved... One of my main businesses is called The Bali Market and that's a Turkish towel company. And I've moved that from the Amazon platform over to Shopify where I've been selling on Shopify for over three years with that company. And then I also help other people who are interested in selling on Shopify or anything in the e-commerce realm. I help them get their shop set up and performing better as well. Okay. And how did you get started in the Turkish towel industry? (laughs) So Turkish towels were just something that I personally loved. They were something I used and... I am into minimalism and having a a clean, pretty house. And once I had kids, I felt like that became a lot more difficult. Uh, So I was looking for ways to help others minimize their home, but still have things in it that they really liked and were useful and didn't just create more clutter. And so a towel felt like something that was really useful. You use it every day, but how can we make it pretty so you can hang it up and it it looks nice and not cluttered in your home. Well, okay. That's neat. And do you make these towels? I'm assuming that you you source them from somewhere. I do. I source them from Turkey. They are handmade in Turkey. A big industry there. They're made in a few different villages. They're like made on wooden looms and they're all hand tied. They have fringes on the end and those are all hand tied by women. And it's a women-run manufacturing company. So that's something that's really important to me too. Yeah, that's really neat. So one of the big differences here with other guests that I've had is that Grace doesn't sell on Etsy because this is not actually a product that's handmade by her. So that brings its own challenges of not having the built-in traffic through having the Shopify store. Can you talk to me a little bit about marketing that on your own, which is a little bit, I would say harder. (laughs) Um, I don't know, maybe just a little bit more in depth than somebody maybe that's just putting something up on Etsy and relying on the Etsy traffic to drive the sales of that product. Yeah, that was something I really noticed um, after getting up selling on a marketplace platform is that nobody knew I existed, right? Like I put up this website, I loved it, it was beautiful. And then I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) no one knows... I exist. So in the beginning, I really focused on creating like connections with other people. So networking in person and um, online. So joining different Facebook groups. I reached out to a lot of bloggers to write posts about my towels. 
I did a lot of podcast interviews. So getting in front of people who were my target market, that was really valuable in the beginning. And then instead of focusing on like Facebook ads, which can be really expensive if you're just trying to target cold traffic, I focused on retargeting. So sending retargeting um, ads versus paying for ads to cold traffic. Okay. And how do you kind of like wrap your head around, I guess, all of these different avenues of marketing or like stay organized in your efforts of, you know, having to market, having to do this marketing kind of at the grassroots level? Yeah. So having a marketing promo calendar has been something that has really kept me focused and organized on what am I selling today? How am I going to promote it? What's the offer? And just keeping on track using that marketing calendar. So a marketing promo calendar is something that all retail companies use. It's like, you know, industry-wide, it's like, okay, this is the sale we're running this weekend. This is the sale we're running, you know, this week. And here are the different offers that, that we're providing for our customers. So I use something just like that, a very simplified version of a marketing promotional calendar. And that allows me to know what I'm selling, where I need to market and what the messaging is to connect with the customers. Okay. So on a very basic level, like (laughs) I don't have any kind of retail background. So um, I've kind of like learned it as I've gone along. But you're saying that a marketing calendar is sort of like this holistic picture of what you're doing and then where you're headed in the future in terms of what you're promoting. Is that right? Yeah. I do a really, really simple version. I lay out like, okay, January, these are the promos I'm offering. And then February, these are them. And then that just allows me to know, okay, so this week I'm promoting my perfect classic towel and this is the material that I need. These are the the stories I want to share in the emails. These are the pictures I'm going to share on Instagram. These are the influencers I need to connect with. So it gives me like, here's a little snapshot of what I'm selling. And then I can expand on that and say, these are all the pieces that I need to, to put together in order to create an effective promo. Okay. And do your products change seasonally or just your promotions change? Both. I do have, I do two different launches. I do a spring launch and then a fall launch. So like in the winter, the, the fall launch will have blankets and, and warmer towels, right? Because the towels that I sell are, they're very thin and they are ideal in the in the heat (laughs) and warm temperatures. So I do add in blankets and some thicker towels to supplement that winter season. And so yeah, like on the marketing calendar, it'll be like, okay, March 2020 is coming up with my spring 2020 launch. So I put that on the marketing calendar. And I know, okay, I'm going to need photos of the new products, I'm going to need um, descriptions, I'm going to need to have collaborations going at that same time. So that marketing calendar just really keeps me organized and knowing what am I selling? What do I need to sell it? You know, what's the offer? What's the call to action? Okay. So I want to make one point just so people really understand this. And then I have a question for you. But (laughs) 
I think a lot of times what holds people back when they are promoting, you know, most of my listeners on the podcast are going to be Etsy sellers. So when they're promoting their products on Etsy or doing their own marketing of it is that they think that they have to come up with new products every single time they're reaching out to their customers to advertise something. And I remember feeling this way when I was a little newer to the online marketing space and trying to build an email list with my Etsy shop. And the only time I would ever email people was when I had a new product, which as my shop grew and I sort of narrowed down my niche really wasn't that often. (laughs) And so I want to make the point for people that if you want to do, let's say, even just Instagram promotions, it doesn't even have to be an email list. But if you're promoting off of the Etsy platform and you're wanting to do some promotion on your own, it doesn't just have to be new products. You just have to have a way to to promote that product or to reach out to your customers with a story or with pictures. or I mean, you don't want to be sharing the same picture over and over and over again. But it doesn't have to be the actual product that's new. Yes, it's such a such a good point. And you know, you get really into your business and you think, oh, everyone has seen this over and over again because right. You have, right? Like it's yours. So you you see it more and it feels like it's not new or interesting anymore to you, but to your customer, it may be the first time that they're seeing it. So it's new to them. Yeah, for sure. And I think that we all are like up in our own heads a little bit about how engaged other people are with what we're doing. (laughs) But the actuality of it is that they're not that engaged. So even if you posted the same picture several times, they're probably not going to notice. (laughs) Right. And even reframing that product. like so. For my towels, it can be used for the beach, the bath. It can be used as a, a throw blanket on, you know, traveling on an airplane. So reframing how they can use that in different promotions. So it's the same product, but maybe one time I'm showing it in the bathroom, and then another time I'm showing it, you know, at the beach or at the pool. So it's it's giving them different ways to use it, giving them different fresh ideas on on why this is valuable, and yeah, really just different ways that they can use it in their life. Yeah, absolutely. And that can also be seasonally changed. Like you say, you know, the beach, which would obviously be more relevant in the summer, but maybe for spring break time, it's more like airplane travel because people are going places or, or whatever. Yep, absolutely. Or so like if it's jewelry, it's, you know, showing it in different outfits in different seasons or different occasions. And so just giving people an idea of how they can use it in their life. Exactly. That's a really great point. How do you actually keep this organized? Like, do you have a software that you use for having like a bigger overall picture or to schedule things or how do you do it? Yeah, I hate Excel with a passion. And so I try to avoid using it as much as possible. I keep it really simple. It's really just me running the business. I do have a a part-time employee. So I'm able to really just use a sheet of paper that I print out, I fill it out. I have a whiteboard in my office where I write, okay, you know, it's February, here's my sales goals, here are the offers this month. But then I do use, I, I have a Mac, so I actually use numbers and I have, I keep track of all the monthly sales that I have. I have a list of the different collaborators that I'm working with. And it's like a scorecard, I guess, like, here's what worked this month. Here are my metrics. Here's how many email subscribers I have. Here's how many Instagram followers I have. And it just keeps me on track to go back and be like, Oh, I have grown my followers. Because sometimes you you like think you're stagnant, and you're really not. (laughs) So it's nice to have like this, 
I call it a scorecard of here are my metrics at this moment in time. And then I can go back to it and see, oh, I have grown or oh, sales have dipped, you know, I need to focus on, on promoting more or, you know, doing some more offers to pick up sales. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I agree with you that I think if you don't keep track of those actual hard numbers, it becomes more like how you're feeling. Well, I feel like things are going really well right now <laughs> or not. <laughs> and that can be like not, I mean, that can ebb and flow depending on your mood and it can not be the greatest basis for what's actually happening in your business. Right. Well, being an entrepreneur is, it's so emotional. And I think a lot of, a lot of people who get into this type of business, especially handmade on Etsy, they have like really soft hearts and big emotions. And so if you're not keeping track of like the actual numbers, your emotions can really just like run rampant where you think you're not doing well when you actually are. Or if you have numbers to show where you're not doing well, it gives you a a vantage point of like, okay, I just need to work on this. Like it gives you more focus. And so you can take that emotion out and it it doesn't hurt as much, right? Like right. emotions can feel feel really different if you don't have the metrics or the analytics to to kind of clarify what's actually happening. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I came to Etsy from not really from like a crafting background, and so for me, it's always like been really I've been really into the business side of the business, but that is different for a lot of people. A lot of people come to Etsy by way of like a, a, a hobby craft turned, you know, shop that they're going to sell it in. And I do think that a lot of people struggle to dive into that business part of it because either they think they're not good at it or they think they don't like it or whatever. But I think you make a really good point that by really diving into those numbers, it allows you to just analyze them. And then it takes away that like, people aren't buying my stuff because they don't like it, or they don't like me or, you know, whatever emotions you attach to that. And it's more just like, okay, my sales dipped by 5% this month, what do I need to do to get them back up again? Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So you've mentioned a couple times that you work with collaborators or influencers. Can you talk to me about how you got started doing that and kind of how you go about doing that? Yeah. So when I started on Amazon, and I think this has changed, but it was really important to have people purchase your product right away to to kind of not trick, but like get the algorithm to be like, oh, this product is really good. People are landing on it. They're purchasing. We're going to move it up on, you know, on our pages on, on Amazon. And Etsy might be very similar to this. So the more sales you get, the more they're like, they're rewarding you and putting you in front of the customers. So I reached out to a lot of influencers in the beginning and, and gave big discounts to make a purchase and then leave a review if they liked it. So I just got in the habit of that really right from the beginning, because that was the only way to get sales in my mind on the, you know, huge competitive platform that was Amazon. Now I focus more on working with influencers to take photos that I can't otherwise take. So I live in Arizona, I live in the desert, so I don't have access to the ocean. So I will find uh, influencers in Hawaii or uh, wedding photographers who are who are doing a beach wedding. So trying to find people who can fill that void for me. I'm also testing a new type, new approach with working with influencers. 
And I think it's going to work really well. But finding influencers that are kind of in their own pod where they have a similar following and having a group of influencers post at the same time to get in front of a similar audience more than just with one post. So they're going to start seeing my product show up on multiple accounts. And it makes my business look bigger. It You know, you have to get in front of people multiple times before they even remember you. But so if they see it on one account, and then they're like, Oh, this one has has this too, like this company now is on my radar. Now I'm recognizing it. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. Because I was actually thinking about this from the consumer standpoint the other day, because I had this experience on and because I guess I I don't know that I would have noticed it if I wasn't like interested in marketing and stuff anyway. (laughs) So I was kind of looking at it from like a that's kind of interesting standpoint, but I follow like several different bloggers or influencers or whatever you want to call them that kind of overlap a lot. Like they were all based in North or South Carolina and they had a very, very similar vibe to them. And all of a sudden I started seeing this one product pop up on like all of them at the same time. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this um, business is doing this really big marketing campaign. And it could have been totally regional. Like it could have been only just this group of people that I happened to follow that that they were like, you know, doing this big promotion or big push. But I mean, it worked. I bought the stuff. So <laughs> it made them seem so much bigger. And you started to notice them. And like the regional part is, is important because we think like, I, I mean, even like, oh, I need to sell international. And it's like, well, wait a minute, like I could just sell in my own community and have a really good customer base, you know, just right here. So like, networking and and selling locally is a big market as well. So it's nice to kind of niche down and think in smaller groups, how can we connect with a smaller group of people in a better way? Yeah, and I think that that is so true that, you know, I think we get sort of overwhelmed by the idea that we have to have this huge customer base when you think about what you really need to be successful. Like I always think about my own Etsy shop I have just under 16,000 sales on Etsy, which Etsy makes it easy, obviously, because it keeps track of them for you and tells you how many sales that you've had. But that's a lot of sales for Etsy. But when you think about... And I mean, a lot of those are repeat customers. So it's not even 16,000 people. But 16,000 people is like one really, really small town. <laughs> yeah. you know, like it doesn't mean that you have to have like... 100,000 customers or a million customers to be successful. Like your reach and your impact really doesn't have to be that broad in order to actually really have a lot of success. Yeah. And, you know, this is like a, a little byproduct of like working regionally or trying to connect with people who are local to you is that your shipping costs are so much lower. Like when I ship to say New York, it costs way more than it does if I ship to California because California is right next door. So even like if you're trying to, you know, improve your margins and and lower your shipping costs, like sell locally. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So when you're looking for people to collaborate with or influencers to work with, how do you go about finding them? Do you just reach out to people and introduce yourself? I really do. I use, you know, Instagram. I get a lot of requests from influencers, you know, in my DMs and in my emails. And if I think it's a good 
fit, then, you know, we go forward with that. I also look at people who are already following me. And I see like, you know, are there any kind of notable followers that I think would be a good collaboration? And then when I reach out to them, they're already familiar with me. It's not like a cold introduction. Yeah. So then when you work with somebody, do you give them a discount or do you send them free product or a combination? Yeah. So I do a free product and uh, I also will... Some ask for money and that's fine. I am happy to pay influencers if it's a good fit. So you have to decide on your own if, if you're ready to start investing in paying influencers. I pay a lot in, in uh, advertising, so Facebook ads. And I feel like I would rather support an influencer and give them the money to promote my product. And honestly, sometimes you get a better return on an influencer promoting you than on Facebook ads. So I'm not afraid to invest in, in paying an influencer. But again, you'll have to decide if it makes sense for your business. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I've always been a little bit hesitant to do that just because there's not... With Facebook, you can really look at the metrics and see what the result is. And I feel like with with influencers, it's a little bit more of like a soft effect or it's a little harder to have those number, like hard numbers of this was the result. But on the flip side... The one time that I have run a really a pretty big influencer campaign, my sales for the month were like over double <laughs> what they normally are. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really attribute it to the influencers at the time because a lot of the products that I sold were not the products that were being advertised on the like from the influencers. But I do think in retrospect, probably that they at least drove that traffic so that somebody's shopping around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Once they heard about you, they land on your shop and then they chose what they wanted. Right. Yeah. Are there things to watch out for when you're working with people or when you're even just collaborating, not necessarily like an influencer that you're paying for marketing, but in collaborating with other people to promote the products? Have you hit any snags that you're like, well, that's a red flag? (laughs) (laughs) I think like when they're excited about your product, that's going to show in how they promote you. So I always like to find people who are already following me or who reach out and have like a good story already. You know, if I get a DM that's like, Hey, do you work with collaborators? Like, okay, like, you're not that interested. You're just sending that to a million different brands. And you're just maybe looking for free stuff. But when I hear from people, it's like, oh, I love what you're doing. I love this message. I heard about you from this person or whatever the connection might be. That's when I feel like you start to get those like heartfelt posts and stories on Instagram from them. And then those are the ones that really, that really work. Yeah. I think that that's really interesting. And um, I think that that's also a good message for people who are listening. When you are reaching out to somebody, the same applies. Like if you reach out to an influencer and you say, Hey, do you ever do collaborations? I mean, obviously they do because that's kind of their business, but (laughs) you know, versus like I worked with a lady one time that I had already been following her for like a year and I knew, you know, about her kids and stuff. And I could say, I see that you're having a new baby and I have these monogram baby quilts and I would love to send you one. 
and you know be able to have that a little bit of background or history that you're connecting with the person on a real level beyond just like spamming them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And having a system in place of like how okay, how do I reach out? You know, what do I say? Then what, you know, now I need to get their address, their email address. I need to set a date for when I want this posted and you know what I put a note in the in their package just a little reminder of my company name and my name. So because we think like, oh, if we're sending them our product, they know all about our business, but they really don't. So it's just a nice reminder of like your business name and a little introduction about you as again, it creates a personal connection. So keeping up like a relationship throughout, you know, from the introduction all the way through the end of the posting, keeping a relationship with that influencer, they're going to put more effort into promoting you. And then another, this is a really good little, I guess, hack is that after someone posts about your brand on that post, go in and look at the people who have liked it, or who have commented. And you can follow those people, you can heart, you know, like their comment, you can go in and like pictures from on their account. So they've now seen your brand, and now you're interacting with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good little tip because if they just see it from the influencer, but then you never follow up or you never, you know, have another touch point, unless they buy it right then, their likelihood of remembering your information is not as high. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, doing things with intention is always going to produce better results. Yeah, for sure. So, when you got started in this business and setting up your shop and everything, what advice would you have for somebody who is just getting started like on the Shopify platform or trying to, you know, kind of go at it without a marketplace driving traffic behind them? Do you have any things that you think like, I wish I would have known that when I got started? Well, I think even like before we start thinking about traffic is, you know, do I have a solid business in place? Do I have a product that is solving a problem for someone? Do I understand what that problem is and how to communicate to that to them? Do I have a price point that that makes sense that that gives me a margin that is also relevant in the marketplace, you know, a price that people will pay. And if I need to increase my price, what's the value add that I need to do? Do I need to have better packaging? Do I need to have like, you know, some sort of stellar customer service or customer experience I'm providing. And then making sure you have an assortment. So different price ranges for for different customers and different add-ons. You want to be able to get the most money out of each customer. So do you have an add-on? Do you have an upsell that that works with your product? Like for me, it's that I have bath towels and I have hand towels. So that just makes sense if you're buying the bath towel. You know, now here's a matching hand towel, and that's an extra $14 on the sale. So, having those things in place and then getting your website to, you know, look professional, look trustworthy, having the place, which is the website, have that really, you know, dialed in, and then start promoting. And promotion for me that really worked in the beginning was just those personal connections, really, you know, outreach to bloggers, influencers. And then again, doing the the retargeting ads, that is vital because once someone's been on your website, they're much more valuable and you want to reconnect with them using the, the retargeting ads. Those are the ads that work the best for me. Yeah. And for anybody that is not familiar with those ads, 
or who has not ever opened the Pandora's box that is Facebook advertising, <laughs> retargeting ads are those ones like if you go on a website and you look at something and then you log on to Facebook and you see an ad for that, that is a retargeting ad and they are targeting you because you've already shown interest in that product. So it's not a totally cold traffic. It's somebody that's already familiar with you. Yeah. Yeah. And those really, and, and they work on me. Like I will go to a website and then I close it and I forget about it and I go on Facebook and I'm like, Oh, thank you. Like I forgot that that was in my cart or I forgot about that and I'll go back and purchase it. So they do really work. They totally work. And I love how you worded that because I think with so much advertising, there's such a mental block between people who are who haven't been in the space or haven't been trained, like, you know, they haven't gone to school for advertising and feeling like you are bothering people. Yeah. Like you're like stalking them (laughs) by giving them advertisements or by showing your products or even by posting on your own social media that they don't have to be following. You know, I'll have people tell me, like, why well, just, I don't want to like bother anybody on my Instagram. Like it's your account. So they don't have to follow you if they don't want to, but there is, you know, the, what you said is so true that there are times that you're looking for something and you really do want it. You just get distracted or, you know, you don't have your credit card saved. And so it's not convenient to buy it right now or whatever. And then here comes along Facebook telling you that you forgot about it. And you're like, Oh, Hey, I forgot about that. I need to go buy it. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. It's helpful. Yeah. And, you know, so to get past that mindset that, all the advertising that you're doing is like screaming in somebody's face and they're going to be annoyed by it. We're used to being advertised to. I mean, you know, I don't get mad when Carter sends me uh, an email about little kid jammies, even though I've been to Carter's a hundred million times and I don't need any jammies right now. It's not annoying to me. I just delete it if I don't need them, you know? Yep. Just move on. And then when you are ready for it, it, it shows up again and then you're happy it's there. Right. Exactly. Well, Grace, thank you so much for being here today and chatting with me. This was such a great conversation. Um, Can you tell people where to find you online and where to follow you? Yeah. So if they want to take a look at my Shopify store, it's theballymarket.us. And that's where you'll see the, the Turkish Towel Company. I also do Shopify Education. And that website is itsgracehayden.com. But the best way to connect with me is I do have a Facebook group for it's typically for Shopify sellers. But if someone is interested in getting on Shopify or just kind of wants to learn from that community, it's a Shopify simplified lounge access and they can search that and find it on Facebook. And I'm sure maybe it'll be in the show notes as well. Yes, that will be great. And yeah, I think that there's a lot of overlap. I think that Shopify and Etsy pair really well together in terms of their simplicity. So it's mm-hmm. sort of a natural, a natural pairing. Yes. Yep. We have lots of sellers who do both a lot of handmade sellers in this Shopify group. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you again for being here. And I appreciate the conversation. Yes. Thank you. I hope you have enjoyed the show and you're excited about upcoming episodes. I will see you back here soon. Bye for now. Bye.